Hello everyone and welcome to Inside the Arena podcast brought to you by Piers Arena. On Inside the Arena podcast, we talk about mental health, well-being and every other issues and challenges we all face in our day-to-day lives. And on each episode, we'll be having a guest on to talk about their own experience with these issues and most importantly, how they are able to navigate and overcome life struggles and challenges. I am your host, Tony, and thank you very much for listening. Today we're joined by Mr. Akiola Ayodele, former NFL player, successful businessman, a philanthropist, and a motivational speaker. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing fantastic. I'm having a wonderful Monday. Um, you know, Tony, it's a pleasure to meet you. I, I am I am impressed and understand the value that you're creating in this space. So I want to say thank you for having me join you on this journey and, you know, us meeting and doing and having this conversation. Um, I do believe it's important, uh, you know, that we, we, we bring to light uh, just some of the points that you're trying to make and the topics that you're discussing. So I'm just uh, on the journey with you and really enjoy this opportunity. Yeah, thank you very, very much. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to have this conversation. And this, it means a lot coming from you also. And we'll just, we'll keep, we'll keep going. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and where the Nigerian heritage and background stems from? Yeah, um, so my mom um, um, grew up in Lagos and she's a teenager. She moved to the UK and then to the US. Um, and so that's the side of the family that I've gotten to know um, that my my heritage is from. Um, you know, don't don't know my father, never met my father, but I get all, all my name and um, you know my culture uh, from my mom's side, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, you know, that's something that uh, I you know I. I when I was younger, I remember trying to figure out, you know, cause when you don't have, good thing for me, I look just like my mom, you know, I'm her spitting image. So, you know, there's that physical, but that internal uh, um, presence wasn't there. I was trying to identify, you know, the male part of me. Okay, I look like my mom, but there's certain things that I do, certain things I say, my, my, my attributes, you know, trying to figure out where it came from. And so, um, not realizing that, not really knowing what, what part of that. So the one thing I was able to always hold on to was that culture, that name. You know, we started this conversation with you telling me Akinola and what it means, yeah. you know, like just yeah. knowing what the name means. I was able to go through a lot of things in, in life and really wearing it with a badge of honor just because I could carry my name. At least I had that. And I could carry yes. that name and it got me through so much in my life, uh, you know, being a warrior, being, you know, a person who likes, who can conquer, who can go through things and still go through adversity and get on top. So, you know, if not that my mom gave me a strong first name, if not that I, you know, I, you know, got to grow up with her and my granddad, you know, who knows where I would be at this point. 
Yeah, that's 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 really lovely. And women are exceptionally very, very powerful. Um, I also grew up with my mom and two sisters and my parents got separated when I was very young. So I was practically raised by my mom and I can I can I can relate to what you're saying when it comes to um <clears throat> getting the strength from um, our mothers and it taking us very far. Unfortunately, I lost my mom last year, though February. So without her I strength, yeah, yeah, but her strength still carries me on, and it's part of the reason why I'm on this journey. I'm trying to help other people who are maybe going through the same situation and and stuff. So yeah, and so how much exposure did you get to like the Nigerian culture? Like how much exposure? Not not too much. Um, not too much. E- even though you know my mom cooked. <laughs> you know, uh, she cooked all all, all the uh, Nigerian dishes, mm-hmm. and so you know, which was our daily meal every day. Yeah. Um, but we didn't grow up. We moved around a lot growing up. Um, you know, different city, different you know apartment complexes. Um, you know, so we weren't around a lot, uh, and you know, I really didn't get to know a lot of my relatives not until late in life so not too much i would say okay and what, what was the, what was the meals that she prepared at home oh um so my favorite so my favorite my okay. favorite all right your favorite. when she wanted to be really nice and take care of me was your bono soup oh nice nice yes that was that was it for me but you know the staple is the rice and stew you know that, that was every day but when she wanted to you know, do it up a little bit. The jollof rice is always there on the holidays. You know, yeah. um, uh, the goosey soup. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, it was always some type of stew. And then my so my nickname for I remember one time, and I didn't know why, but they would call me Dodo, and <laughs> I didn't I didn't know what it was. But but come to find out, when I was really young, I loved plantains. And that was the only way they could get me to act right is if they would fry some plantains, some sweet plantains, and they would give it to me. And then that's when I would act right. So for a minute, they would like nickname me Dodo because of that. And, and you had no idea until you were you I had up no idea until yeah, I got older. <laughs> that's that's yeah. a very wonderful story. Um, yeah. um, you, you're a father now and to a beautiful daughter. And one of the things I actually heard you talked about was, um, although you loved your mother, you recognized her struggle. You were there with her every day, being the first, son, being the first child. But you didn't, you didn't really grasp the amount of sacrifice she made until you had your child yourself. And in the first week, it was almost like, oh my God, it's just a week, and I have my wife with me, and this child is defeating the two of us. So how was it for my mother? doing that and having the four of us and taking care of you guys so what's what what different level of appreciation did you come to realize oh yeah man great question great question you you know it's something that we don't really understand the amount of sacrifice or what people go through when we haven't really lived in their experience because it's easy, we call it Monday morning quarterback. We call it, uh, you know, people always pointing at the finger. But when you actually go through that same exact scenario situation, then you realize the amount of sacrifice and the amount of emotional toll that people actually go through. 
Um, so yeah, when you know my daughter was born, we, she was a pandemic baby, by the way. So in that span, you know, we really didn't have any help. We really didn't. We couldn't even at the, at the hospital. You know, my wife gave birth with a mask on uh, and having a push. So you know, all, that alone could be traumatic. And then then having to come home and not get that external support and that a family that would be there to help you and teach you how to put the diaper on and change and wipe up and even do the shift where maybe one person takes, you know, three hours, the other person takes another three. No, we were all on our own and isolated from family and friends. And to think that my mom moved around a gazillion times with four kids by herself and for a long time worked three jobs and providing and putting shelter and cooking and you know trying to teach us the values and these good good moral standards that you want your kids to have i'm thinking to myself wow i, I had no idea that it it, it 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 was this much work this much time the lack of sleep you know and you know it's there's no there's you know you can read all these books but there's no real playbook when you have your own child that tells you, okay, boom, these are the things you do at this, this exact time because every kid is different. Every kid cries at a different time. Every kid goes through, you know, whatever pregnancy and, and, and their own pregnancy, but whatever they feel at the time, it's all different. So it's not a plug and play, and, and, but you do need that wisdom and, and you do need people who have gone through it to kind of help you filter Okay, do I, is it, is she crying because she's hungry? Is she crying because she's uncomfortable? Is she crying because she's wet and sold and needs diaper change? And, you know, is, is something going on? And um, just having to figure all that out on your own really did bring perspective to the sacrifices that our parents make to raise us, to bring us up, you know, the best of their abilities because they have their own culture and traumas and learning experience, real lived experiences. And yeah, so I I, I called her. I said, mom, you did this by yourself four times? I will never argue with you again. <laughs> oh, wow. I will never talk back to you again. Like, God bless you. Yeah, God bless, God bless her. God bless all mothers. Um, yeah. So, what would you say is one of the most valuable lessons you learned from your mother? Um, one of my most valuable lessons, I would say, is that that mindset of never giving up. Uh, because there, there are a lot of times when I could see that she felt defeated. You know, she had put in a lot of time and, you know, she was balancing three jobs and she also was a mother of four kids, three boys, you know, having three rambunctious boys with high energy and always into something. Uh, and, you know, and, and a daughter at that too, and my sister. So it was four of us total. And, but the, her mindset was, okay, there has to be more and I'm not going to just quit now. And seeing her have that mindset and, naturally, not forcing it on us and not always telling us, but watching her lead by example really gave me an understanding that it's not what you say, it's what you do. You know, kids, my daughter right now, you know, she, I can tell her, don't do this or do this and do that. 
But what she's really going to do is what I do on a daily basis. My consistency to be around as her father, my consistency to guide her through the many things that she should do and don't do, whether it's, okay, how we put on clothes, how we read our alphabets, how we, um, how we play, how I talk to her mother. All these things are what she's going to emulate, not because I tell her to do it, but because I show her how to do it. And it's all about modeling. And what I watch my mom do, um, you know, for such a long time, since I can remember, have a picture of, you know, of mom, is she was the best model, the best role model that any child could have had. And you being raised by your mother, you can definitely relate to that because, you know, your strength, your, 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 your curiosity and, you know, your ability wanting to continue to educate yourself and then give back that knowledge to the world, I'm sure had to stem from what your mom had put inside you by her actions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. She, 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 she was an amazing woman. She was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, football, how did that, how did that all start for you? Did you always wanted to be a football player? Um, no, I just wanted to, honestly, I just wanted to, uh, go to college, get an education, uh, get a good job and take care of my mom and my siblings. That's really all what it stemmed from. And in ninth grade, I read a sports illustrated article that talked about how colleges gave high school seniors scholarships and they would pay for your entire education. They would pay for your entire housing while you're in college. They would pay for your, your books and they would pay for, they would give you food, free food, unlimited sources of food. I said, I get food? All the food? <laughs> oh, this is it. <laughs> this is my yeah. ticket. So in the ninth grade, I, I just went to the coach and said, okay, I'm going to play football. I want to play football. And that's where it started. Wow. And you took that drive. So how when when did you when did you start taking it all serious? When did it become like a serious thing? First for day. You? The first day. I I I wanted the scholarship. I wanted to go to college. I just knew that if I could elevate my knowledge and get a good degree and, and it would give me an opportunity to get to get recruited and get a good job. That's all I wanted to get a good job, right? That was the end goal. I didn't know what the job was gonna look like. Uh, I had some interest in certain fields, but I didn't know what exactly it would look like. But I just knew if I, if I could get into college and get into higher education, I give myself an opportunity to get that good job. And so I took it seriously from day one, from day one. When I tell you, Tony, day I went to practice, I sucked. I was terrible. They wow. made fun of me. They called me. They even nicknamed me Stone Hands because they said when when they when they throw the ball at my hands, it bounced off like a stone, like a rock. You know, wow. they they that's that was my nickname for such a long time. And I knew that the only way that I could circumvent and catch up and speed to where I could be good, just like them, or even better, was I had to dedicate my time my energy and give myself to being the best, right? So after that, I mean, I, I, I asked my my uncle and my mom, you know, if I could go to, if I could, if they would drop me off at school at six in the morning before the janitors got there, 
I would, some, there were so many times where I, I, majority of times I got there before they even opened the school, just so that I could work out and I could run, I could practice on a jug machine and catch the ball before everybody, before all my teammates and some of the students got there, you know? And I would talk to the head coach and I said, coach, you know, you can give me the keys to the locker room so that I could work out. And because he knew he trusted the type of kid that I was, he either would give me the key to go in the locker room and open it before everybody got there, or he would get there at the same time so he could open it up for me. You know, so wow. I took it seriously from day one. Wow. So um, when when did the league become like um, something that was going to be a reality? Oh, um, good question. So I was a junior, I was a sophomore in college playing at Purdue. Uh, I believe my first two or three college games at Purdue, I had like two sacks, two sacks, one sack. And so all of a sudden I was getting all this recognition from all the college sports magazines and ESPN. And then a scout, a NFL scout walked in because they were looking at our quarterback, Drew Brees, who played for New Orleans Saints, a future Hall of Famer. And they were looking at him and looking at some other players. And they said, the scout told my coach he wanted to talk to me. And so my coach called me in and I, the scout was like, hey, I like your game. Keep it up. You might find yourself in the NFL. And prior to that, I never even thought about playing the NFL. I still just wanted to play, give my best to playing football at college level, get this degree, and let's go get this nine to five. And just that one spark by the agent, by the scouts telling you it's a possibility, then you took it seriously. Yeah, it, it inspired something in me to see that they, they somebody saw something that I didn't see in myself. And sometimes it takes that, you know, yeah. sometimes it yeah. takes, uh, you know, a mentor, a friend, uh, a coworker that sees something that you may have overlooked in yourself that really takes you and sets your mind to another level. And for me, it was in that moment that then the dreams of possibly playing the NFL started coming to fruition. So I got a car my junior year, um, yeah, my junior year, late my junior year, and I would drive home from West Lafayette, Indiana to Dallas, Texas, where I lived. And it was a, it's a 15 and a half hour drive. Wow. And I would do it at midnight. I would always leave at midnight. And, you know, I would always, I, you know, I would, I would always do it at midnight. I would have to work a little bit, make some money so I can get enough gas to pay for gas and money to get some food on the road. But I never, what I would always do was, I would, what kept me up was sunflower seeds, lemonade. Those were the two things I would eat the entire, I wouldn't buy any food because I, I had a limited amount of money. But what really kept me up for 15, I would drive straight through the night. I wouldn't stop. I wouldn't, I would only stop to get gas. I wouldn't stop to get in a hotel, sleep, pull on the side of the road and sleep. What kept me up and why this is what I'm telling you story was that conversation that I had with that scout telling me that there was a chance that I could play in the National Football League. So for 15 and a half hours, I would dream and I would picture myself having these games in my head and either playing the NFL or playing at the college level. And I would see myself doing these great feats. But prior to that, I never even thought about the NFL. I never even pictured myself in the NFL. But because that scout said to me, keep it up, 
you might find yourself in the NFL, all of a sudden, now my dreams expanded. Now I could see myself playing at that next level. And for 15 and a half hours, you know, all I would think about, all I would dream about was playing the NFL. Wow. And when, when did that finally become a reality? When did you get drafted? And how was that experience? I got experience drafted in 2002, like? 2002, the NFL draft class. I was the third round. So back then, uh, the NFL first three rounds was on the first day. And then the uh, next four rounds was on the second day. So you always wanted to be a first day guy, whether you're in the first round, second round or third round, you just wanted to go on the first day. Uh, and so I got, I was blessed the way I got drafted in the first day. And I got a call from Tom Coughlin, um, who was the head coach of Jackson Jaguars. Tom Coughlin has won two Super Bowls with the New York Giants and more likely be a future Hall of Famer coach. Called me, said, listen, how do, what do you think about being a Jaguar? I said, I'd love to be a Jaguar. And the rest was history. And um, when you finally got into the NFL, like the NFL is like, I started watching the games like three years ago. I got interested. I don't know what happened. I think I was listening to a podcast and I think the Super Bowl was coming up and the enthusiasm of the guest, of the host talking about the, the Super Bowl. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I'll watch this. I'll, I'll, I'll see, I'll try my hands on it. And they are some of the most amazing athletes in the world. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh my God, what kind of, how these people build for Christ's sakes. And it's, it's just amazing. So coming into the NFL as a rookie, did you get intimidated? Did you doubt yourself seeing the level of um, competition that was available? Yeah, there's always doubt. There's always doubt. Um, that's, a, that's a good thing. You know, there's always doubt. There's always a slight doubt, but never to the point where I was, I was paralyzed or I was fearful um, because I believed in myself for such a long time. I'd done so much at that point. And there was a process that I was going through. I knew part of the process was I had to work hard. As long as I worked hard, okay, as long as I give myself and I put in the time, I'm giving myself a chance. Not that it was guaranteed, but I'm giving myself a chance. I knew that intellectually, mentally, if I put in the time as far as studying film, again, I was giving myself a chance and that I could put myself in positions to be successful. And then three, I would say that sometimes for a lot of people is that when they get, the doubt becomes bigger than the dream when they're exhausted, right? And I knew that being exhausted was only part of the process. It was okay to be exhausted because that means what? I had put in the time. That means what? I'd actually put in the time to watch film and I've worked hard. So being exhausted was okay. And that when you do that, you just put yourself in a position to actually be successful or you get one step closer to your dream. And for me, I, I trusted that process. I trusted those habits that I, I created prior to getting to NFL. And so when guys that were playing were pro bowlers and guys that have been playing three, five, 10 years, and guys are, I mean, this is a grown man. These are grown men that have grown men problems. They got, they have, you know, a, a $10 million house that they got to pay for. You know, they have family that, that they need to feed. They got, they have Lamborghinis and, and, and Lexuses and Mercedes that they got to make sure it gets paid. So I knew that they had a different set of problems. I had nothing to lose. At this point, I had nothing to lose, you know? So I didn't come with 
a Mercedes. So I didn't come with an expensive house. It was just me and my broke self. <laughs> and if I could just do put in no time and work on my process, things were going to work out. So, you know, I, I, I was I, I was like a, I was a pit bull, man. Tony, when I tell you, when I was a rookie, especially as a rookie, I didn't care. I, I jump in fights. I, I they asked me to go against the best of the best. I said, just tell me when. <laughs> that underdog mentality. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The, the the fear of failure can be very tricky sometimes. Sometimes it stops people from showing up to battle. Stops them at their track. Or sometimes it's almost like a fuel for some other people to like, um, get themselves going. I don't want to fail. Mm -hmm. I don't want to find myself in this place. So that simply means I have to put in more work, like you rightly said. So um, uh, just in that same mentality, do you do you really think someone has to suffer, um, from setbacks in order to be successful? Do you think that's a factor? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, we started this conversation just about um, the, the modeling, right? And watching our parents or our mom, you know, our dad, you know, showing us good example. But you really never know the, the steps and the sacrifices and, and the scars that they've had to go through until you actually go through it yourself. And in that time, when you go through it, there's a decision that has to be made. You know, you're, you're a grown man because always 100%, but for the most part, you know, sacrifice a lot to want to raise you and your sisters, but then two, protected you from a lot of things that the world, right? Yeah. And then now you're going to have to go through that with me. You know, I knew that one, um, there's, my mom had created a lot of uh, an environment that was safe for us to live in. And she had sacrificed a lot that to create that environment. But when then when I'm doing it with my child, you know, I've had to really for me to really understand my child, I'm having to go through those same sacrifices now. And so the my successes with my daughter are going to be are going to come from the experiences that I have with her. And those experiences is not going to come because my mom has a playbook, you know, and he's like, okay, this is the playbook, execute the playbook. No, the only time you get success is when you do go through your own trials. The only time you go through your trials, when you go through your trials, now you have to make a decision. Do I want this bad enough that I'm willing to have this mentality? I'm going to push through, or is this something I'm saying, you know what? I really don't care. This was just a hobby. This was just something I wanted to do to waste time. And success only comes from the moment that you make that decision to push forward. So it may take you 10, 20 years, three, five years to get to the end goal, but it's not because you got to the end goal that you're successful. It's because you went through it. You made a decision, a conscious decision to push through the adversity that you become successful. The, the success itself is only a byproduct of that decision. And that's where people, I think, tend to not understand or lack is that they think that if everything is peachy, if everything is all put together nice and tight for them, that all they have to do is show up and that they don't have to put in the work and the sacrifice. So, yeah, success without adversity um, is not truly success. Yeah, there's a difference between I want to and I will be. 
Mm-hmm. I want I want to be a great football player. I will be a great football player. There's a, there's a distinction. The distinction is where oh like it was just a hobby, and when you mm-hmm. say you want and when you when you say I will be, then you have to see it through. Um, something something you always talk about a lot is um, knowing yourself. Uh, I think the Greeks, they also have this maxim, know thyself, in order for you to really believe in yourself. So what's that process like, getting to know yourself, so then believe in yourself and believe in your own abilities? Is that something you yeah. can speak on? Yeah, man, that's, man, that's a really deep question. Uh, knowing thyself is an involving, it involves on a daily basis, trusting yourself, is something that is 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 a part of you that you've gone through over time, and when you can mesh the two, it gives you that confidence to go through things in life and know that you're able to really balance or overcome. So, one knowing yourself is really being vulnerable and being honest with yourself. Um, part of that honesty becomes that hey, I may not always have. It's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to make a decision and things don't pan out the way that you thought it would be, right? And in that process, I learned that, okay, I need to navigate the space different. I need to, maybe I should have made this decision instead of that decision. But all that is a combination of trusting yourself is knowing that, okay, I've gone through these many levels. I've been through these many iterations. Then now, I have a big picture, a lens that I can look back and say, wow, I still have come through a lot in my life and I'm, I've am i made it and I'm successful, I've overcome a lot. Um, a lot of people tend to not trust themselves because they don't allow themselves to go through, they don't jump into the fight. And that's where I, you know, I truly believe that you only really grow, you only really do learn from yourself is when you're, you allow yourself to go through these, these challenges, this challenge um, and situations that come up that you have absolutely no control over. 90% of what happens to you, you have absolutely no, no control over. And, but people tend to remove themselves from it. They tend to mentally shut off and not allow themselves to see these as an opportunity. And for me, I've been able to really, not that I do it perfectly, not that I'm always right, but I understand that part of what you go through in life that you have no control over, but what you do have control over is, you know, the decision that you make and the mindset that you bring into it. So I'm, I'm a big advocate of, you know, you know, being in control of the emotions you bring to the table. Always being, you're always in control of that. I can't control the questions that you ask me, Tony, even if I say I have a list of questions for you to ask, whether you choose to ask or not, that's a choice you're going to make. And I can't not, I cannot make you ask those questions, but I can control how I answer the questions that you ask me. And I can control how my emotions are in the time space that we're using right now to ask those questions. So I always believe that when you, when you go through that and you allow yourself to experience these things, that then you tend to have that control of self because you trust yourself. And most people haven't gone through enough that they can trust themselves. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I completely agree with that. And um, also knowing yourself actually helps a lot, especially in um, being a professional athlete. Because one of the most interesting thing I found out about sports is 
you may be the baddest, you may be the fastest, you may be the strongest, and you, will ha you may have, like, you can put together the best team and all of it. But if you still do not also study your opponent and you go in with just those beliefs and that brute, that brute force and everything, you get defeated. And that's, mm -hmm. al that's always a mystery because you talked about um, some of the misconceptions people have about the professional athletes that people think they just walk out every single day, they are in the gym, they are running and all of that. But most of your time you spend is watching film, analyzing yourself and analyzing your opponent. And how does that really translate into life? Because some people, they tend to go into different fields where um, even if they are competent enough, they haven't really studied what the, what the field is like, what, what is really, and, and learns from other people that have been there. So what do you think is the real importance um, taking that, um, taking that um, concept from being a professional athlete and studying your opponent and watching yourself? How does that translate into life? Oh, great question. So I'm in an industry now where uh, I'm in the insurance industry on the employee benefit side. And um, part of that is putting together benefit packages, benefit offerings, healthcare offerings for clients and for employees, uh, for employers to offer to their employees. And there's a whole process that goes on even 100 steps prior to getting to the point where you are, the, you become the client, you become the, the consultant, the broker uh, for the client. And there's a, a whole process that happens prior to that where once I figure out, okay, this is a prospect that I wanna pursue, where's the location? What type of uh, employee are, what type of employer are they? What current, what benefits do they offer? Currently, what type of employees do they hire? Um, where are they trying to grow? Um, you know, how much would they like to spend? There's a whole litany of questions that I have to figure out prior to even engaging them, right? If I just thought about, oh, I have a great product and my product, it doesn't matter what industry you put it in, it's going to be the best. It's going to crush whatever you're having right now. Sometimes my product doesn't fit into the space that I'm trying to go in. Sometimes my product might not be best suited for this employer because he might be in a space where it's completely out of my rim. And there are tools that I have that doesn't fit into his industry. So where the question that you're trying to ask is really, is really getting me to understand that just because I am me, just because I feel that I am the best, it doesn't necessarily mean that my best can handle the situation or my best can fit in this situation. So being a professional athlete, there's a whole research and, and, and film study and, and understanding what plays you work, what plays you do that can work against their defense or their offense and what plays that the opponents, their bread and butter, what they like to do and what works for your defense or your offense. And life is the same thing, you know, uh, you know, to your point, life is all about the same thing. You know, for a lot of us, we have a hard time realizing that we may not fit in certain circles. You know, you just don't. Not everybody, just because I grew up, just because we've been, maybe we've been friends or maybe we've been partners for so long. If I'm not able to take, stop, look at my situation, look at the situation I'm in, the person I'm dealing with, is it the right 
person? Is it the right product? Is it the right play to plug in in this situation? It not, it's not always about you. Absolutely. It's not. It's not always about you. And you have to have, you have to be humble enough. You have to remove the ego enough and your pride to get to a point where I can segue and I can look at another option or I can pause because it might not, it might just be timing, right? It might just be timing. The time isn't right right now. If I've done my due diligence and I've done my research and I know um, um, the client that I'm pursuing and I can say, okay, maybe the time is for me, best for me to wait another month, another two months instead of approaching them now because they might go through a death, right? There's a death in their family and they're not in the right mental space. But me, I'm trying to get this business. I'm trying to get this proposal right now. And I just come at them instead of waiting, you know, that's when to the research and the ability to, to, to study and know your opponent enough to where you can, then you can go approach them in the right situation. So it all comes full circle, whether you're an athlete or you're a professional and you're in a certain industry, you have to really do your research and your ability to know that there's more to it than just you having a product and you selling that product or you having a product and you trying to get people to come buy that product. There's a whole timing process to that. And that's why the research aspect of it is important. Yeah, that's that's very true. And talking about, you just made a perfect example something that happened to me last week. Um, even if you're trying to approach someone, it may not be the right time. So one of the first people I actually got to sign on on this new um, project, um, um, of the podcast, the new episode, the new season, um, is Keo, Kelechi Osemele. I don't think you, I don't, I don't, maybe you know him as an NFL, he's a current NFL player right now. And um, he's also a Super Bowl winner. He was willing to come on. He was very excited and everything to just, um, you know, share his experience and maybe help out a couple of people. And it was a day to um, when we were supposed to record. And I was looking at my Instagram because we follow each other. And I saw he put up a post. His sister had passed. So definitely it was the wrong time to like send a reminder or anything like that. So I just took it in good faith and just um, stayed calm. Then he was the one who reached out and was like, oh, I don't think I can do this anymore. We are actually going through some time. And the rest, and I had to support him through it, not bringing that up at all at that time. So yeah, it's, it's, it's actually very, very important. As a, as a founder myself, there's, there's also something that they call a, a product market fits and mm. your target audience so those are the things that pe people really need to consider so yeah i do agree but, but it says it says something about you though it says that you are humble enough and you were able to remove your ego and not make it about you you know yeah. that you had that empathy to understand that okay this person is going through something and i can delay you know what i need right now you know for something that can happen later and probably when it happens later, might more likely be the better time for both of you. Exactly. Because you want it to be in the right space when it comes on. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, one of the things I also see is kind of promoted in my own generation today um, is um, you don't need anybody. You can do it by yourself. You know, you can't trust this or whatever. Like, this is something that has been... Um, it's almost it's romanticized like um, you don't you can't trust people or whatever the case is but one of the things I always hear professional athletes talk about especially the ones who play team sports is um, you said something like this you said um, if you trust your coach and your and the training staff you're willing to go into battle even if the coach might be absolutely wrong 
but you mm. you trust that person so you're willing to like um go into battle with them and do what they ask of you and the rest of it and i always hear professional athletes talk about um the locker room has to be right everything has to come together everyone has to lock in in order for mm. success to be achieved on the field so um taking that mentality what is the message that we should be passing across to people instead by speaking about humility like you said it's very very important to understand that you can't do it alone yeah yeah no that's man i'm glad you asked this this is my journey now uh, where i am in life is to get people to really understand the importance of african proverb it says you want to go fast go alone you want to go far go with others people think that they, some people think that success, when people make it to be what you want to put in quotation marks, successful or your success, nobody gets there alone. Nobody. Team, team. I'm a huge proponent, proponent on team. The more we can collaborate, you know, we don't have to try to reinvent the wheel. We're not working in silos and trying to solve one problem versus, yeah, solve one problem versus having many thoughts and many ideas come together and solving this one problem, we get there faster. But when you have multiple people having different goals or different passions, that's when the friction comes in. The more I give my, of myself to others, the more I help other people you know, possibly reach their goals, I'm gonna be blessed from that. Absolutely. Let's specifically talk about you know, um, you know, where you are. Uh, yeah, there is a culture, not the culture that you started or, you know, your generation or my generation, but it's a culture that has passed through over time that has not yet shift of trying to protect intellectual knowledge of trying to protect the roadmap and the blueprint of success. And it's not until when you can get a mindset where let's open it up. Where yeah. now you, you're going to start seeing more people in that pool of success you're going to start seeing more people who have the mindset of not not give me mentality, but more so let me help you. And the more that those can help each other, the more you're going to see more rise in, in you know, in the economics, in, in, the, in the mindset, in, in, in the health. Yeah, I totally agree. That's the truth. And that, that's the right attitude to winning. We have to come together to um, to actually pull it off. So um, what's life been like and after football? What's, what has life been like? You know, most athletes don't get to, most NFL players don't get to retire on their own accord. Usually the rug is pulled from underneath them. Um, it's not what they want to do. I was fortunate to where, you know, I had reached a lot of my goals. Uh, they didn't want to pay me the same amount anymore. So I said, you know what, I can, I can walk away. I'm okay to walk in the way. And part of walking away, I had to be real with myself. Um, I knew that I can't just sit on my butt for the rest of my life. Uh, there's a lot of life to live. And, you know, what am I going to do with that? Uh, the difference between me playing, you know, a decade in the NFL and the people that I went to college with, the regular students and them going into the workforce, there's a 10 year gap where they had real world experience. And I didn't. You know, because I was in a, let's be truthful, right? I was in a bubble. Playing professional sports, you are in a bubble. Everything around you is controlled. 
you know, the people that they you you are exposed to, the way you work, the way you go to work, you know, and and the lifestyle that's created around that. It's a bubble. Let's just be real. I knew that for me to go into the real world, there's a whole nother level of living that I'm I'm going to have to understand. And for me to to cut out the time was go through some type of education. And I went back to school um, just to try to get some, some understanding. That was I went back and got my master's in business, business administration, um, focused on some finance. And I wanted to understand if I was to choose to go into investing, if I was choosing to go into financial um, uh, management, um, that I could see some and, and have a roadmap to getting in there. And so I did that. And it was you know, one of the best decisions I made. Worked for Princeton Advisory with the business, some business partners, and we started our own wealth management private equity group called Eagle Rock uh, Wealth Management. And it's been a great, great journey so far uh, professionally. And then I segued from that recently, last year during the pandemic, where I was asked to come work for an insurance company, and I accepted that position too. And so, you know, to be able to go from the label of, oh, you're just a jock or you're just an athlete. And to say that, no, I'm not just a jock or just an athlete, that I'm more than that. Um, we, one, gives me a lot of confidence. And two, you know, I am really feel that I am showing other athletes that you are more than just the sport that you play. And that there's more to this world and there's more to life than just playing the sport. And whether you play, whether you never play or you play 10 years or 20 years, there's still a lot of life to live and you can still continue to live that life and have a professional career that you love and you enjoy and still have a, a, a strong, you know, personal life as well. So that's part of what I'm trying to model. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. That's something LeBron James also preaches more than an athlete. That's, that's very true. Um, so what advice do you have for young people? You know, my number one advice um, generally because most people want the dream, but they don't want to work for the dream. And that, you know, I like to really want them to understand that nothing comes easy. Nothing is going to be given to them. Uh, nobody's going to feel sorry for them. Uh, and, and that it is okay to sweat. It is okay to be an outlier. And what I mean by outlier, I made a lot of sacrifices. And, you know, I was willing to get up at four o'clock in the morning and 4.30 in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, just so that I can give myself more time to, to practice, to work out, to, you know, watch film, to work on the mindset. And, you know, I did that and I did it consistently. So it's one thing to want the dream and it's another thing to work, to go actually work for the dream. Then it's another thing to, to, um, to put in the time when you're trying to do it, but more importantly, to do it consistently. And when I say time is to do it consistently. You know, you want the dream, you work for the dream and you consistently do that. And when they can put those three things together, then that's when the reality or the dream becomes a reality. So that would probably be my one advice is to make sure that you're willing to dream big, you're willing to uh, pursue the dream and you're willing to do it consistently by putting in the time to work for the dream. Yeah, that's 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 very good. Thank you very much. I hope someone really picks that and runs with it. 
And, and it's a model, Tony. It's a model that works across every single field. There's no industry. There's no success story. I don't care if you want to be an artist. I don't care if you want to be a soccer player. I don't care if you want to be an engineer. I don't care if you want to be a teacher, a doctor. There is no industry that that process does not work. It works across the board. They just have to be willing to do it. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. It's it's walk, walk, walk. Like sometimes people, my friends, they ask me, oh, what are you doing? I said, I'm walking. And so they ask me like two days later, what's your day going to be like? I said, I'm walking. Mm-hmm. And, so, <laughs> and sometimes it's like, is, is that all you do or that's all you say? You know, like, yeah, that's that's all. At this particular point in my life, that's all I'm doing. I'm just walking. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what it is. I'm just putting in the work because I have a goal for myself and I'm willing to make that sacrifice to get there. I really am. So, yeah, it's like just, it. it's, it's the mindset. It's the mentality. So, yeah, um, the Dream Builders um, Foundation. Can you tell us about that? That's your foundation, right? Yeah. Yes, Dream Builders Foundation. So in 2006, I started my uh, foundation. And originally, it was called Aiken's Path. Aiken's Path was a mentoring organization. I'd mentor five high school kids every single year, um, give them all the resources through a, a tutor. Um, we'll, we'll go on community engagement activities. And then um, I would always take a trip with their family um, to something new or expose them to something new. And during that time for about a good three, four years, and even prior, I noticed that a lot of other athletes around me wanted to also give back to the community and wanted to focus on kids, but really either didn't know how or had the wrong people managing their foundation. And so I wanted to merge both passions. I wanted to merge my passion for kids and youth and my passion to see my peers have success. And that's when Dream Builders came about. And Dream Builders still does the same thing. It focuses on on education, extracurricular activities and nutrition, but we find professional athletes as we call captains in the cities that they play in to be the champions for the programs and the initiatives. Uh, Right now we're in over 32 NFL cities across the country. We have uh, numerous corporate sponsors and regional uh, corporate sponsors across the country. And we also partner with local foundations. So grassroots foundations, uh, these initiatives are currently um, uh, currently um, being um, um, the programs are running in. So for me, the fact that I've you know been retired now, you know, going on 10 years, and we still have a foundation that's still seeing a lot of success by being impactful in the communities and still helping out children and kids uh, to me means a lot. You know, over the last seven years alone, we've we've raised and donated over four million dollars back into wow. the community. Wow. So that's something that, you know, we know that we're making a difference. And that's that's something that you should be very, very proud of. And um, it's it's good work. It's great work. So um, before we go, is what, what are you most um, proud of? out of your, all your accomplishments so far in life? Man, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Thinking off the top, I would say that what I'm most proud of is you know, uh, my journey so far and where I am in my personal life. Um, when I was playing professionally, you know, I, I was very intentional about not dating seriously. 
And uh, I waited. I said, you know what? I'm going to wait. And I waited and, you know, I found my wife who um, has been my rock, my best friend. And the fact that through my wife, now I have this beautiful daughter, uh, you know, 19 months. And to see how that has come to fold because I made the sacrifice, you know, 15, however many years ago, or 17 years ago, uh, you know, yeah, 18 years ago of not really taking or dating seriously and to be with this person I am now and to, for them to give me this wonderful child, you know, of the seed, a blessing that I am proud that God gave me that patience and that wisdom and that he put me in the right place to where, you know, I'm, I am where I am now in life. Yeah, congratulations. That's that's very inspiring. So it's very important to wait. Good things actually take time. <laughs> <laughs> So um, yeah. have you ever visited Nigeria or Africa? I have. I have. I've been to seven countries in Africa. I've been to Morocco, Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, um, Zambia, and Egypt. Oh, wow. Six, six, six countries, yeah. Oh, wow. Africa, yeah. What was the experience like when you visited Nigeria? And what at what point in your life oh, did man. you do that? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. I, you know, I've been twice, actually. I've been twice to Nigeria. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I've been twice to Nigeria. And um, I actually tried to do some business in Nigeria. It, no. it wasn't good. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, that's for a different episode. We're going to come back to that one. That's a different yeah, episode. Yeah. But um, seeing my, my roots, seeing where my mom I uh, came from how she was born in, how she was raised, going out to the village, uh, you know, the food, the people, um, and then like my heritage, right? So come to find out. So my mom, quick story, my mom used to sign her name, Princess Jessica. Okay. And I reached, my brothers and I would make fun of like, mom, come on, nobody wants to, don't sign, don't put princess in front of you, man. Like, nobody wants to see that. Like that's, you're embarrassing us. I know, you know, we got some African and uh, Nigerian, mm -hmm. this doesn't mean everybody is uh, royalty, right? Like some, like mom, stop. And come to find out, mom is royalty. Like oh. my granddad was supposed to be king in, I believe, Orwell, like a village in Orwell. And he chose to go to the military oh. and become a doctor in the military. So his brother was, you know, took over, but because of the lineage, you know, so it, rightfully so she's prince, she's a princess. And, exactly. You know, and yeah, so it was just realizing. So when I went and I came back, I was like, I told my brothers and my sister, I was like, yo, we got royalty in blood. Like mom was right. <laughs> did you visit, did you visit with her at, at that time? Huh? Was she with you? Did you visit with her at that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was with me. She was with me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So she you know, so her her thing is like I told y'all, and I told you guys. <laughs> y'all didn't believe me. I told you guys. I was like, yeah, mom's right. So my, you know, one of my nicknames to my daughter is Princess. Oh wow. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, she's royalty. Yeah. There's there's an there's an extension. Yeah. She's, she's, she's royalty. Well, thank you very, very much. This this conversation is is gold. Very, very um, practical conversation we had and very, very useful conversation. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. So um, any final thoughts? Is there something you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think one of the 
conversations we've had is really why we're here today. Uh, the purpose of this platform, this channel, um, is really to help to, to encourage people, to encourage all listeners, you know, uh, where, wherever you're located, to really, it's about believing in themselves. It's about the mental, the, the ability that they have mentally to go through things and to overcome new challenges. And the, uh, the mental health part of it is important. Um, you know, before you can do it, you have to be able to think it. Um, you know, where our, our subconscious in the sense of our, how our body and how we operate is, our, our mind is already thought about whether we're aware of it or not. You know, if I'm going to write an A, I've practiced enough A's that once I grab this pen that's in my hand, uh, you know, my mind already knows what an A looks like. So, and it's already written it enough times. And before we can do it, we have to be able to think it. So to be on a channel like this is really helping us how to think and helping us how to, to believe in ourselves. So I, I encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. I love it. I, I love that you are being a change agent um, in, in, in culture and a change agent in the uh, podcast space. So I encourage you to con you know just continue doing what you're doing, knowing that you're making a difference, whether it's one person that hears this, hears this talking and, and they get fruit from it, it makes all the difference that you're a success story. Yeah, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate that. We're, we're not giving up. We'll keep going. There's a whole team behind this initiative and everyone is locked in. Everyone is locked in. So, <laughs> so yeah, we'll keep going. And thank you very much. I really hope um, we get to have more interesting conversations in the future. And thank you very much and do enjoy the rest of your day. You too, buddy. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this conversation. To support this podcast, please like, share, leave a comment or a review and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Piers underscore Arena. Thank you once more.